What's the size of a typical blue whale? 30 meters, which in feet is 100 feet. Is that correct? Did I get that right? Just about, yeah. That would be far and away the, the largest animal on land, right? Oh, Pro- yeah. Probably by an order of magnitude. I don't know. I didn't even know what the next one up would be. How many sofas would that be equivalent to? Your sofa <laughs> oh, scale? oh, 100 feet. Well, 100 <laughs> divided by six. Yeah, so let's say 15 sofas. Right? 15, 15 sofas. sofas. Walking down the street. Welcome to What the If. I'm Philip Shane here, your erstwhile host. I don't really know what the word erstwhile means. But it always comes before host. It's so right. it's exactly. Be good. Exactly. <laughs> Do you know what it means? Do either of you know what erstwhile means? <laughs> no, it probably means something different in Australia anyway. Yes. No idea. <laughs> I'm not the only one here, as usual. Here in the virtual meeting space, Uh, At geosynchronous orbit above the Earth, we have a meeting of two hemispheres. Professor Matt Stanley coming to us from uh, Washington Square in beautiful Greenwich Village, Manhattan, at New York University. How are you, Matt? Damp and cold. It's kind of nasty out there. Yes, because it is winter. That's what they tell me, yeah. Meanwhile, we have someone claiming that it's summer. How are you? (laughs) Dr. Parada. G'day. I'm just sounding very Aussie. <laughs> we don't actually we don't actually say that in everyday words, uh, language over here. But yeah, it's currently over 20 degrees Celsius. And Sorry. I'm in my living room and it's super warm and it's very comfortable. Oh, that's nice. You're in Sydney. So in Sydney, Australia, where it's very nice and warm right here, right now, in this side of the world. That is amazing. I, I I will. It's at some point it should become tiresome and rote that we can talk to each other on either sides of the world, but maybe not. Yeah, I hope not. My grandmother continued to be amazed by television, for instance, and certainly cell phones blew her away. So I guess we'll be like that. Isn't that amazing? Back in my <laughs> day, your pictures were only two dimensional and they were all blocky. Yeah, that sounds right. For those who are, yeah, for those of you who are listening on audio and wondering where do I get the picture, you can't because we just dump, we just, that just rolls right off. There's, there's a big cable giving us audio and video, and the video is just pouring out into the ocean. So, yeah, there's actually a giant video patch right next to the garbage patch in the Pacific. (laughs) The horrible, it is all bad video. (laughs) (laughs) is floating in the ocean. Well, let's get right to it. We have an amazing show. Um, Dr. Vanessa Parada, we are so excited to have you back. You are uh, an expert on whales, but you can probably say that better than I can. When it comes to whales and cetaceans, which is a general collective term for whales, dolphins, and porpoises, I'm your gal. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) I like that. That's a great description. (laughs) Instead of PhD, it's just IYG. Well, thankfully, I've studied three, recently just finished three and a half years of hard research from my PhD where I've been looking at drones and whale snot collection. So I can talk to a lot of variety of different things, (laughs) especially talking about the boogers of whales in Australian waters to compare with whales in your waters over there. And our boogers. The The whales are the boogers on this side of the world, excuse me. My boogers yeah, exactly. Have, I, I look if I if my boogers need to be donated for science, I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, yes, and I refer you. By the way, if if you're listening and you have not heard the previous episode where we had Vanessa on about whale snot and related issues, check it out a few episodes ago. So, uh, uh, you came with uh, Vanessa. You came with a fabulous what the if for us to pursue this week. And so let's, uh, let's hop aboard our dinghy. Now, what, what kind, when you go out to research the whales, how big is the boat that you would typically go on? 
Well, the ideal boat is kind of like a couple of metres long, kind of like a Zodiac. I don't know if that's what you call them, the ones that have the rubbery collar, the sure. squidgy collar. Um, they're a little runabout. They're ideal with a very fast engine at the end of at the back of it, on the stern rather, if we talk maritime terminology. <laughs> that's kind of the best in my opinion. But if you're going to go offshore, like really offshore, you probably want something a little bit more stable, like something like a catamaran, 12 metres or so. Mm. Yeah. But if you go down to places like Antarctica, where I've been on a massive ship that was 96 metres long, that can take smaller vessels like a couple of metre long runabout where it opens up and then kind of gives birth to another boat and then you can go do your research via that. It's called the mothership. Oh. Nice. (laughs) That is so cool. Usually the mothership's a bad thing that we want to attack, but here we get to be the empire. Yeah, it's a nice change of pace. The the mothership is ours to hold. (laughs) So the question is, the question is, what what if whales and dolphins, for instance, members of the cetacean species? A cetacean grouping, a collective term, your whales, your dolphins, and your porpoises, a group of marine mammals. And, and, And they decided that you know, the ocean, it's been great for us, but we didn't come from the ocean. And they want to, like, get back to their roots. It's like when the Beatles the Beatles got <laughs> laid in their career. They thought, you know, we got to get yeah. back to the roots. So, so the animals sort of want to do their own sort of Let It Be album. And to do that, they would have to redevelop hands and feet, limbs. Well, I guess arms, hands, feet, legs, all these kinds of things to get back. And now I don't know how many people know that whales and dolphins, they are mammals and therefore they began on land, actually. When when did that happen? Well, around more than 50 million years ago, I've been doing a little bit of research before this, I must say, and I love this stuff because it allows you to kind of go back and for me, especially move away from whales, not. Uh, but around 50 million years ago, ancestors of whales were living on land. So this is well before our time. And then I think, and then the the animals that we recognise today, during the, the last 15 million years ago, they lost. So they essentially went from land into the lovely ocean and became more sleek, super dynamic animals that you see today. So. If you're listening, think about it right now. You're listening, you're breathing, you're a mammal, you're you're living life to the fullest and hopefully to the most <laughs> interestingest, if that's a word. And and as that, we are mammals, so that does mean we require air. And whales do that as well. And when they moved into the water, essentially, if you think of it, our mouth is on the face, our face, which is right in front of us. But evolution over time brought the mouth, mouth or the, the nasal passage. So the mouth and the nasal passage are kind of two different things. And it brought it to evolve up to the top, so to the head. So essentially it's like placing, getting your nose, picking it up and placing it to the top of your head and breathing through there. Really interesting stuff. And uh, over time, whilst inland, and I must point out that the common ancestors that whales and dolphins or cetaceans, if you hear me say cetaceans, a group of marine mammals, they actually share a common ancestor with hippos, camels, and deer. So did you? It's really interesting. Hippos. So cool. hippos, camels, and, and deer. Deers. And oh, deer. 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 <laughs> deer. Yes, deer. And and the ancestors of the dolphin. Now, did the dolphins and whales and porpoises have a common ancestor, or do all three of those have an ancestor that would belong with the hippos? They belong with the hippos. That's my understanding. So if anyone wants to correct me on that, I'm happy for them to do so. But, yes, essentially, if you want to think of the closest thing to a land whale, think of a hippo. All right. How cool is that? You know, the hippo is kind of a comical animal. I think it could be because literally Walt Disney put him in a lot of cartoons. If I remember right, hippos are crazy dangerous. I think they kill more humans in Africa than any other megafauna. Megafauna. There's a rock 
band name if I ever heard one. <laughs> Surely there's a band called Megafauna. Megafauna and we may be ugly, but we but we're fast. Yeah, that'd be fine. So maybe what happened was the hippo was running after another creature and sort of the creature got smart and ran towards the ocean thinking, ah, I'm safe. Oh, I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm out of here. I'm safe. He won't follow me into the water. And then the hippo kept going and the first whale was born. Yeah, that sounds right. And and unless there's a whale expert around to tell us otherwise, we should... uh... (laughs) stick with that if you, th- if you think about it the hippo as well is a really cool animal because they're kind of like a crocodile where they can just have their nostrils and their eyeballs out of the water and it's all aligned so they're really well adapted for living in the water like have you ever seen that with the the nostrils and the eyes it's all in one level and all they have to do is just expose a small part of their body and i think the reason for that is that their skin is very vulnerable to the sun which marine yeah. mammals Whales and dolphins are as well. They can actually get sunburnt. There's another fact. Wow. Oh, that's fascinating about the hippos. Yeah, because, uh, in fact, again, my, my I've done a lot of research on the hippos um, by taking uh, multiple times. I've gone on a, a jungle cruise, uh, which is a ride at Disney World, <laughs> <laughs> which, by the way, is one of the funniest. There's more puns packed into the tour guide's shtick as he pilots the boat through the jungle cruise anyway but that business but yeah about the hippos hanging like just at the surface of the water i wonder i don't know if we know but like that sounds like some it's sort of like i can do all this maybe i can go all the way into now, okay so here here's a more serious question what would drive a species to uh, go from land to water like did something have to force them to do that? Or do you think it was just like a... In other words, for, we know that all life came from what we believe, right? Started in the water, evolved, and then we got amphibians who could come out of the water and go back in the water, I suppose, like frogs. And then eventually some stayed on land. It seems to me that going back to the water is an odd choice. Uh, it wouldn't have been a choice. What would force them to do that? Something Like a drought on land or... I, I personally don't know. Like, the, there's obviously been a lot of literature on this, but do we, do, does anyone on Earth really know? Is it uh, this more food in the ocean? Is it climatic variations or climatic conditions? Is it that they all decided to go into the land because it, into the water rather, because it was much better in there? It's a, it's a very big question. And we're all kind of building pieces of the puzzle by collecting old remnants of bones and and doing the pictures of what whales did used to look like and the thing that's really interesting is that when people have discovered whale skeletons and dolphin skeletons sometimes they've got messages or kind of remnants of what looks like well or what is actually in what we recall we refer to as humans hip bones and these are you'll see kind of like this really sleek skeleton and then these two little useless little bones hanging out where their legs used to be and it's the hip bone or the pelvic bone you think that's what they have now matt what is the term for that vestigial vestigial are you thinking of which means um, it's an uh, organ or structure that used to have a function but no longer does. I don't know if there's a if there's a technical detail beyond that, but that's what I think of them as. What you're saying is that we can see that evolution is not complete, or evolution eventually just sort of said, you know, I've made these bones small enough. I'm not going to bother. Yeah, so actually, vestigial organs were one of Darwin's primary pieces of evidence for his theory because they serve they serve no function, right? They just take up energy and space and stuff that could be used for other things. Because a big part of Darwin's argument was that evolution just does what it needs to do to keep us alive and breeding and doesn't bother with refinements. You've got vestigial organs, and we all do, right? So the appendix is one of these, um, your tailbone. So these are these, these are evidence that, you know, the fact that you have a tailbone tells you that humans used to have a tail. 
and that's left over. But after a while, evolution is just like, eh, there's no survival value to getting rid of that last three inches of bone. So I'm just going to leave it there. Even though the appendix can kill you. Yep, that's right. And this is so that that's the that's the kind of odds making that evolution does sometimes. So like, eh, usually doesn't kill people until after they've already had children. So it's not again not worth quite getting rid of just yet. So Vanessa, do we think are the what kind of thing might make the whales suddenly no, suddenly in evolutionary terms, let's say. <laughs> start thinking, or you know, start thinking, start acting amphibious again. Well, first of all, what, what, how far are they from? How far are they from land creatures now? Like, how long are we talking about that they would have? What, how long would this re-evolution have to be back to a land creature? Um, the paper I'm looking at says they evolved from land-dwelling ancestors 40 million years ago. So whether we go off that as like a basis. But this study that came out in 2014 is quite funny. <laughs> um, it basically points to the use of the remaining vestigial organ of the hip bone or the pelvic bone, which in this paper, and I must, I've, I've got to read it word for word because it's really funny. <laughs> the title <laughs> of the, the, it's called Sexual Selection Target Cetacean Pelvic Bones. And it's saying that, uh, obviously, you know, cetaceans offer a unique opportunity to test a hypothesis. Since evolving from land-dwelling ancestors, they lost external hind limbs and evolved a highly reduced pelvis that seems, and this is a funny bit, to serve no other function except to anchor muscles that maneuver the penis. So, right. and then, and then uh, just by wrapping that, the thankfully scientific journals have an abstract this study provides evidence that sexual selection can affect internal anatomy that controls male genitalia. These important functions may explain why cetacean pelvic bones have not been lost through evolutionary time. So there you go. Yeah. Is the author female? <laughs> the author is, well, no, um, it's uh, probably Dr. or Professor James Dines. Ah. So, and this is from 2014, but this is this was in um, I Effing Love Science. This was... Yeah, then that published, that journal was published, in, it was in, on Wiley. I'm just trying to work out what journal it's from. Yeah, but it was in, oh, in Evolution. There we go. So any of your academic listeners listening, pretty interesting, isn't it? And and I was going to say on the, on the topic of, I always find this a really interesting topic because when you speak about whales generally, everything is just on grand proportions. So if it's helping provide maneuverability to a male penis we're talking about in some species a penis which can be up to three meters in length and if we're also talking mm. about evolution moving from land to water they want to be super sleek so in the whales it's not like humans we don't have it's all kind of nice and neatly uh, retractable so to speak so when it does come time for reproduction, it, those reproduction organs, such as the male penis, is something that will come out from the actual body and is very extremely maneuverable in some cases. For example, while I'm on this kind of way path of whale reproduction, the southern right whale or North Atlantic right whale over in your side of the hemisphere, they have one of the most maneuverable penises because sometimes the females there's like a massive grouping of, well, not a massive grouping, maybe seven to eight individuals. They can all at one time has been some cases, and in fact, a David Attenborough doco did a great portrayal of this, but David Attenborough was talking about how the female was rolling onto her back to avoid the male penises entering her. And essentially these animals, and especially for the southern right whale, they have massive testicles, and I'm talking a pair of them are, one ton, so 500 kilogram testicles. <laughs> and wow. the, reason, the reason that it's just on grand proportion is apparently due to uh, sperm competition. So when a male will mate with a female, he actually uses his sperm to flush out the previous male sperm and then in hopefully ensuring that the last sperm there is his genetics. <laughs> We've gone from evolution to now sexual reproduction in a very streamlined environment. 
Well, all I can say is, first of all, I'm glad we're not doing video because I'm blushing. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> they're not coming back to land. I mean... <laughs> So should we just stop there, that they're too big to come back from land? Well, no, no. They're, they're So nine meters, we just have to say, a nine-meter-long penis is, um, no, sorry, three well, meters. No, three meters three is meters, nine feet. Right. Nine feet. For those oh, nine that, feet, yes. Yeah. Thank you for the conversion. Nine <laughs> feet is um, basically one and a half sofas. That is, <laughs> that is very impressive. So. I've never thought of it in sofa term. We should have a sofa scale yeah. for every whale anatomy part. Well, when you live in a New York apartment, space is perhaps like a boat. Space a is premium. very much yeah. an issue. Yeah, a premium. And so when you go shopping for furniture, you <laughs> learn the measurements that you have available, the, the size you have available very specifically. So I happen to know that our sofa is exactly six feet. And then I think, yeah, everything else is measured at that. And the one-ton testicle, and that's just one of them. So testicles, that, that's the pair. Sorry, so okay, right. five hundred kilograms each. But no, yeah, still... your listeners can't see my gesturing to the weight. I'm <laughs> looking like I'm holding two watermelons. <laughs> two five, <laughs> two thousand pound watermelons. So one of the it seems to me that. One of the reasons whale anatomy generally can get so gigantic is because the waters help support some of that weight. Is that right? Yeah. So there, apparently there is an optimal size that where you've got, they essentially in, in, in short term, they can't get too big and then they're not, some of them are smaller, but there is a limit on how big they can get. And many of these animals, because they're mammals, are very efficient at homeostasis, which is just like the general going of the body. And these animals are so big that when they, often when they strand, I think I may have pointed this out maybe in the other podcast, I'm not too sure, but when they, often when they strand, these animals are so well equipped at heating their bodies because they're marine mammals. Remember, they need to keep their body warm. And when they eat, their metabolism creates heat in the body. Mm-hmm. That when they, when they strand, they overheat. But because their body is so heavy, they will simply, one of the reasons they die in, in addition to others' reasons is that they will simply collapse under their body weight and they can't, they've never felt their body weight essentially. That's oh, another wow. way of looking at it. Yeah. Like, like, a, like the Hindenburg. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's going to yeah. be a big problem for them coming back onto land then, right? Yeah. Exactly. And I love the, we've come full circle here. So now they've gone from this from land. Well, yeah, they've come from land and uh, they've come into the ocean. So they've allowed their they've had this freedom to go. Okay, what should I turn into? Let's turn into this. And they've been able to kind of perfect it as they've gone along. If they were to come onto the land, I think they'd be goopy and not able to do much at all. Well, they can breathe, that's for sure, but they need to be cooled down all the time and not overheated basically not to overheat they're kind of like a car a car engine you could oh, so to speak because okay. once they run out of coolant which is the fresh water of their body then they're no good so one would imagine that throughout the evolution if we imagine a time that they did if we you know we cut we go forward some millions of years and maybe another 40 million and we found that creatures living on land who used to live in the water they were the whales and they managed to do it the in between that process they they probably got much smaller for one thing Exactly, because the natural selection would select for individuals that are probably smaller. But also, if you think about diet as well, like baleen whales, which are, so you have toothed whales that have teeth, and you have baleen whales, which are toothless whales. And toothless whales have hair-like structures like baleen, which if you feel your hair right now, that's what it feels like. And they, they're super, well, they kind of specialize in what they eat. They're eating small small krill, which are kind of like prawns, uh, and fish. So come into land, what the hell would they eat? Or how would they, how good would they do with, without having to filter feed? Because essentially they're, they're using water to assist them feeding. That's the other big thing. So they're using their, their baleen plates like a strainer or like a comb. So could it happen? I don't know. Or, or rather I would hold much more hope for the toothed whales or like the dolphin 
dolphins or killer whales, which are actually the largest dolphin because they're more of a opportunistic, well, some of them are, some of the very specialist feeders, like the southern resident killer whales, which will feed on only one certain type of food, like the Chinook salmon, if I say that right. Remember, I'm Australian. (laughs) Um, Whereas you have some killer whales that will generally feed on whatever's there. In fact, other marine mammals, other dolphins. So they might just like, oh, there's a kangaroo. Not that we have kangaroos running around everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it used to, but then the whales ate them all. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, well, I think here, I'm going to say actually the, for our what the if scenario, where, where we always also like to change the least amount of things. I'd say in this case, maybe it's not the least, it's not the most simple change, perhaps, but I feel like the least change, the, the simplest switcheroo in a way, to use a technical term. Maybe that's an Australian word. It sounds very Australian. Switcheroo. It does actually. <laughs> To under, it actually helps me appreciate the scale of whales if I imagine them living on land. So let's just move them to land, and let's say that if the things they'd have to con- conquer were that they had needed a skeletal st- structure that could hold them up. Let's say they could do it, and the temp- they've adapted without having to change their current body structure except for they can walk around. We'll deal with that in a second. Are they bigger than the dinosaurs? Like, we know dinosaurs walked around. Now, of course, it was a different environment then, but how do the whales uh, compare to dinosaurs? Sort of the big, so the big brontosaurus, dinosaurs, are they on par with the humpback whales or the blue whales? Or Well, some people say that the whales, the blue whale, for example, is the biggest animal that's ever lived. But, mm-hmm. but then there might be other people. I, I'm not a dinosaur expert. I must first point that out. But then there might be other people who would be like, oh, well, it's all relative. So if you were to think of a land-dwelling, if you were to take a, a whale next to a the biggest dinosaur that was, I don't know, like if you were to categorise it like the world's biggest herbivore or the world's biggest carnivore, I don't know what how that'd rank. But essentially, the blue the blue whale is like the one of the biggest, and is definitely bigger than some known dinosaurs for sure. And how long? What's the size of a typical blue whale? Okay, I know this both in feet and meters. So, oh, <laughs> accommodating for the both hemispheres. Yes. In meters, there are thirty meters, which in feet is a hundred feet. Is that correct? Did I get that right? Just about. Yep. I usually, I just okay. multiply by three, but it is a little bit more than three, yeah, right? That's totally reasonable. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, there you go. feet is 10, a 10-story 10 high building. It's another, in New York anyway, good measurement. That would be far and away the, the largest animal on land, right? Oh, Pro- yeah. Probably by an order of magnitude. I don't know. I didn't even know what the next one up would be. African elephant? African, well, how many sofas would that be equivalent to? Your sofa <laughs> scale. Oh, oh, 100 feet. Well... <laughs> 100 divided by 6, which also happens to be the 6 feet seems to be the standard, like they put a little figure of a man next to something. It's usually a 6 feet thing. Yeah, so let's say 15 sofas. Right? 15, 15 sofas. sofas. Walking down the street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So. In Sydney and, and New York, an apartment that was 15 sofas length would cost you an arm and a leg. Yes. yes, it would. <laughs> After all that evolution, you lost an arm and a leg just wanting to buy a sofa so you could sit down. Exactly. And watch the whale news. So we've got dolphins and whales on land now. And let's say they, let's just give them whatever, you know, basic feet. Like in my mind, it's a little bit like dinosaur feet or something like triceratops or something like that and brontosaurus feet, and they can walk around. Behavior-wise, how might we see them as they march towards our city? How are they interacting (laughs) with the first? So so first they're in the countryside. They're coming through the countryside towards your city. Here they come. They've they've finally evolved out of the water. It's the last day of their re-evolution back to land. How might the dolphins be acting and how might the, how would the whales be acting? Well, I'm kind of, you've all seen Godzilla, haven't you? Now Godzilla comes out of the ocean. 
that's the kind of way I'm seeing the whales and the dolphins come back in. But on the topic of locomotion, so how things move, it's if your listeners can think of how a shark moves. So a shark moves kind of side to side and that's their locomotion, which a shark is t- essentially a fish. But with a the whale, they've got this up and down movement of a paddle and no. their tail stock or their peduncle, so there's an area between the fluke, which is another word for their tail, and then the, the bit that joins their tail to their body, it's called a peduncle. That's a massive amount of propulsion that allows the animals to go up and down, kind of like a, well, when you talked about the animals coming to land, I was kind of imagining a caterpillar. So, you know, there's true seals, the ones that don't have the external ears. They're, they're the ones that move on land like a caterpillar. So would they be moving like a caterpillar? Or if we imagine them as having evolved feet all of a sudden, would they be, would their movement be kind of up and down or would they start to jump like a kangaroo with that massive tail still attached? Could uh, be the case. interesting problem, yeah. You know, can you can you just see that? You've got a massive tail. You've got now her feet. It, it would be like a kangaroo, and I, this is very appropriate me being <laughs> in Australia right now because that, that tail on a kangaroo is used for balance. So it's a great way of allowing the animals to, and when they're actually jumping, that tail kind of sits in the air. It's really, really cool. You should, again, Google kangaroo locomotion or kangaroo movement and that's kind of how our whales and dolphins might look moving towards land, although not as graceful. I imagine with that amount of bulk, there would be some swaying side to side, especially if you have little legs. Maybe that might look like Tyrannus T-Rexes coming yeah. to land. I had a vision of the uh, TV show Flipper where yeah. <laughs> it always looked rather ungainly. Clearly, it's not natural for the dolphin to do that, but they would do a thing where you get up on his tail and walk forward a little bit. You'd be surprised. That's actually um, a lot of the behaviours that animal animals do in marine parks and almost copied from natural behaviours. In fact, they try to reenact a lot of natural behaviours. So oh. there's one called tail, tail lobbing where the animals are, it's kind of an aggression thing from my understanding is where the animals deliberately hit the tail on the surface of the water. It's kind of like a like a frustrated thing. But with the, where you, I know exactly what you're talking about, where the animals come up on their tail and it's called like tail surfing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, uh, it, it does happen in the natural world as well, just not on demand. <laughs> it would just maybe happen for a couple of seconds or so. Really interesting. Right. Now they don't jump through hoops though. I guess they don't really have <laughs> hoops. No, but they jump super high in the wild. And I've seen yeah. it. Yeah, I was in East Timor just a few months ago. So East Timor, Think of the Southern Hemisphere, go just under the equator near Indonesia. So hopefully your, your listeners are kind of narrowing in as to where I was because there's blue whales in Australia that go all the way up from Australia to Indonesian waters. And I was on the boat one day and I just saw this massive thing just jump out of the water and it was a dolphin propelling itself like 10 metres into the air. So oh, if wow. you imagine there's a fish there, yeah. <laughs> there was a dolphin doing that. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, really interesting. Matt, you are a uh, you're a researcher sent out to investigate to gather data on the whale dolphin horde. <laughs> that, that, that's approaching our cities. Coming the cities. What do you do? <laughs> how how are you going to get data? It's pure purely science. You're the only guy I'm the who's only on one. science. Oh, the rest of them have fun. tanks, and it's all that stupid stuff that you see in Godzilla. Yeah, that's right. So I should say, taking a note from Vanessa, I'd start with drones, I think, right? Ah. I don't want to get too close to these suckers. Um, I think an important question would be how fast they're going, because I could well imagine that a blue whale, a land-bound blue whale jumping up and down on its tail could go pretty fast, actually. (laughs) So I would be wary about getting too close. Now I'm just I'm trying to get a picture of what 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 actual kind of movement you're you're imagining. So you think he's he's the whale he or she is basically on the ground, but the tail is giving him is sort of like a hopping motion. Or are you thinking like like I, I can't see them walking on their tail? No, no, it's definitely going to be a uh, a jumping propulsion kind of thing. But I don't know if there's if there's an existing animal that does this. Like you said, kangaroo is kind of a kangaroo or like a, uh, uh, what's the mouse that jumps that way too? Oh, there's a mouse? That's yeah, they, they kind of push down. They, they, so they stand on their legs and then push with their tail. Huh. 
So is it, it a hopping mouse? Hopping mouse? I can't. I can't I, remember. I but yeah, so there are a couple of critters that that do things like that. So I, I think that when you talked to Vanessa, you talked about the seals, for instance, or the sea lions, the way they move. That's how I imagine that the. Uh... Yeah, the, the seals. So okay. true seals are almost hopeless on land because they're so well adapted to the marine environment. Where sea lions are mm-hmm. non-true seals. This is another fact, and they have external ears, and they're like really maneuverable. Sea lions can outrun a human. Easily. So if you've got, you know, on land, absolutely. Yeah, fast. Wow. And then they're big too. They're kind of scary when they come at you. They they bellow, make this huge <laughs> noise, make yeah. them smash along. Yeah. So if that's okay. So if the whales are moving like sea lions, all right. So we got to evacuate everybody. Or, 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 or the true seals, rather, the, the, the ones that look like a caterpillar. If they're moving like caterpillars, they're not that fast. Oh, okay. That could be. So that, that might leave us time to evacuate the city. Well, I just say one of my concerns would be how much they're going to eat. So how much does a blue whale eat every day? Oh, we're talking tons. Okay. So a couple of tons easily. And an animal can be 100 tons. Oh, a humpback boy. Whale, uh, a, a blue whale, rather. A, blue, a humpback whale can be 40 up to 40 tons worth of weight. So 40,000 kilograms. Oh, boy. And and they eat fish, or they eat? Are they vegetarian, or they eat? What does the blue whale eat? Blue whale eats small fish, and also krill. So so the tiny little animals, and so they filter feed. Remember, they don't have teeth. And I, I found a fact that a, a blue whale can eat up to eight thousand pounds of food a day. So there's pounds that works for you. I don't know the equivalent in in tonnage. So whole forests, whole forests, all the seafood restaurants are gone. <laughs> they just inhale that through their nose, probably, and, or through their spout. And oh, and, you know, you know, how did what? I, I don't know. Like, what would the next like? How much? You said forty tons a day. Well, eight thousand pounds. Eight thousand pounds. And and a humpback whale can weigh forty forty thousand. Kilograms or a blue whale can weigh over a hundred. I'd, I'd get the exact for a blue whale. But yeah, so is, let's say 8,000 pounds of food a day. Uh, a cow weighs what? Four or 500 pounds? Yeah. Uh, so let's call that 20 cows a day. Oh, that's almost as much as I eat. <laughs> <laughs> but that's getting rid of our methane problem. Oh, that's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although, what are the whales? I don't know. The whales make, <laughs> you know. Oh, I don't know what a whale fart would be like and how yeah. much that would contribute. Quite impressive, I think. That would actually be, uh, yeah, just more of their weaponry. It'd be the opposite of it just Godzilla just going in the opposite direction. <laughs> um, so, also, it, I, I, th- I realized what drove them back onto land. It was global warming. The seas, the sea level rose. Yeah, it could be. Cities were. You know, the, the, the people had to move more inland or to higher ground. And so there actually was this period in this fictional uh, speculative fiction scenario where there was all this sea life intermingled with the flooded cities. And so that would be sort of a natural thing for them to start to come in. And uh, then they'd like, well, we, why don't we just keep going? This is great, you know. Also, what? Maybe global warming, you know, gives so much energy to the planet that that also allows them to grow. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe they're just so at their optimal size that if they've got water, they're happy animals. And really, when you think about it, they can breathe air. So it's just, we don't need to worry about the breathing capacity. It's more just that keeping cool and being able to maneuver and eat, obviously. Also, it got so warm outside and so humid that actually, you know, it, again, made it a little bit easier for them to transition. Also, I like the idea that they invaded our uh, our human population centers, not out of any typical Hollywood, you know, rage or just uh, raw killing whatever natural way of being, but they did it because of joy. They're just like... They're just so happy to see us? Yeah, like dolphins are... Dolphins in particular, super happy, <laughs> right? They seem like the happiest 
creatures. I guess we have no idea. Poor dolphins. They're really, my experience of dolphins, they're not happy animals. They've got that <laughs> thick smile. Yeah. Dolphins are, dolphins can be, I can't swear on this show, but rather um, cheeky and very clever animals. So they yeah, definitely have their own. Yeah. Yeah. There are tales of unfriendly dolphins um, that right. you're correct are not appropriate for a family friendly show. But so maybe the so the the whales are coming back on the surface, not because of joy, but to get revenge for the acidification of the ocean. So their first targets will be, you know, oil refineries and power plants and things. Yeah, maybe that. And maybe they want because there's a lot of whale populations recovering post whaling. Maybe they want revenge on the people or the, the, the whole movement for whaling, which unfortunately it still continues in some, some parts of the world. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe they've, because thanks to the protections that we have for many species and many populations, numbers are rebounding so well. So maybe they're, hey, we're back and we're here to show how successful we are now that we're not being whaled. I don't That'd know. That'd be nice. Yeah. I, yeah. I can also imagine some Greenpeace, uh, well-meaning Greenpeace people, and I would support this mission. Might they may be working on this right now? Who knows? Bioengineering the whales to take revenge, to understand what <laughs> happened to them, and to seek revenge. And they, and they would just be riding. You know, these these people would be riding the whales, like you see in Dune. They ride the worms or something like that. I can imagine that. Well, yeah, that's right. The first human civilization to harness the whales as uh, for for purposes of war would be pretty impressive. Well, did you did you know that the? I just want to add in one last fact for your listeners that one of the whale, actually, the sperm whale, has the world's largest animal brain. Did you know that? No, uh, nice. There you go. So that actually, explains why well, I, I don't never know. beat them at words with friends. Yeah. <laughs> Whales with friends. So ha have people, now we have, so it's interesting, you mentioned like the shows that uh, they do uh, with dolphins, for instance, make, having them perform with people and stuff. Has anyone, uh, can you, here's a simple question. Can you ride a whale or, and a do, do people ride dolphins like outside of the uh, uh, show environment? I think riding a dolphin in the wild would be completely hard because they're so quick. Uh huh. Uh huh. And a whale. So we don't. In other words, we do. We do ride. We did domesticate horses, for instance. And you can ride horses, and you could ride donkeys, I guess, mules, and all things like that. But is it conceivable that we could learn to live with whales in a way that you we could ride them and? Live in harmony. Let's say live in harmony, not dominate them. You you could probably do that. You sometimes see dead whales and people ride those. Dead whale. <laughs> 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 that, <laughs> who are these people? That's really. Weird. You should Google it. It's it's it does happen. Unfortunately, people riding dead whales. And I must point out, it is not an advisable thing to do because often when there's a dead whale, there's a lot of juiciness in terms of smell and blood. And that can attract sharks. No, oh dear. Okay. Good to know. And we, you cannot ride a shark. I challenge you to do that. That would be impressive. So the final stage of the whales take over the land, what would they, do they have, They first of all, right now they have no physical structures whatsoever, right? They just live in the water. In other words, would they ever... Um, do they have a, a, some, would they evolve a society beyond the kind of society they have now? I reckon they would. Although communication sound travels differently on land than it does in water, it's much more effective traveling underwater. I think it's six times faster. So communication for those low frequency communicators might be a bit of a challenge. And for the high frequency communicators, such as the dolphins or the toothed whales, mm -hmm. yeah, that might be a challenge as well. So you're, you're actually thinking of going from a liquid environment to air and how would sound travel that well? We know that elephants use low-frequency sounds. Wow. Uh -huh. That's really cool and, and that can travel a long distance. So maybe they're just going to evolve to be giant elephants. 
All right. Pretty cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, it seems like whale uh, elephants are kind of the closest thing we can imagine to whales on land. I mean, totally different kind of body, obviously, but sort of gigantic. Yeah, I think they are the closest, but it's. I think it's really important to to realize how much bigger than even elephants whales are. Whales are just gigantic compared to elephants, so it would be a whole new ki- kind of order of things here on land uh, if the whales are cruising around. So say say again. So the length of a blue whale is uh, thirty meters. Thirty meters. Yeah. Thirty meters. So a hundred feet. That it's not quite a. I don't know how long is a city block in New York. Probably hundred yards, hundred meters. A yeah. hundred meters. So it could yeah. be the size of a blue whale. Yeah, it sounds about right. You know, think of the the blue whale at the Museum of Natural History. City, wow, I'd love to go there. Oh, come visit. Yeah, visit. it would be so much fun to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, make sure you see it before the whale and dolphin horde, the cetacean horde. <laughs> comes and subsumes our city, as is their right. Wow, this has been a... <laughs> this is probably one of the craziest <laughs> ifs we've ever had. But look, you know, you got to reach for the stars, as they say. As they say, yeah. When you go back to do your whale research now, will this have changed anything about your perspective? <laughs> well, I'm definitely going to be thinking about whales on land and what a whale thinks of me in a boat. It's definitely a, some. It's an avenue I've never been down before, so thank you. <laughs> It'll definitely be a topic of conversation for dinner tonight, that's for sure. <laughs> and and uh, I think uh, I'm just going to pat myself on the back. I won't speak for you, Matt, but for having navigated away from the... From the temptation, yes. The infinite possibilities of the uh, whale penis no but we kept it <laughs> we family friendly you know yeah there's just so much to talk about there uh, we'll save that and for- remember i can say those things because i'm i'm speaking for a scientific perspective and australians too get get away with it because you're descended from prisoners although i'm not i'm a of a european migrant from a little country called malta I don't know if you've oh, heard of it. Yeah. Where my dad is from and my mum is from Italy. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah, Australia's got a very interesting mix of people. Shout out to Malta. And maybe we have some, uh, if we have any fans there. Yeah, that'd be cool. Give us a ring. Thank you, Vanessa, for this incredible trans species, trans water to land spectacle that we we went on today and thank you Matt for all the research you did and for volunteering to be the one scientist who went out and built drones but still had to get out there and fly those drones um, anytime discover the be be the point man Mm -hmm. for the uh, dolphin and whale the cetacean invasion tell us what you thought of this show I'd love to know and, and I know for a fact that this, as with all three of us, generated some quite spectacular, colorful images in your mind. And those of you who are artistic, or even if you're not, put those down, you know, put those down on paper or pencil or however, digital, whatever you want to do. Let's let's see some of these images. And tweet it. Yeah, tweet it. (laughs) Tweet it like crazy. And, other, you know, you could use words too if you want to just describe. Sounds are good. Obviously, we like audio. So, yeah, start uh, contribute. Let's let's start to build, you know, to flesh out this image, as we say, flesh it out for real. Vanessa, as as with the last time you were on, you are now going to receive another special gift of a finger puppet mm. from the unemployed philosophers guild who give us these toys because they they love us, they love the our audience. They love our guests, they want to help science, and they also want to bring a smile to everybody's face so that, you know, when the whale core comes, where at least we had a good time before that happened. So congratulations, you will now have your second finger puppet. Which one? Thank who you. Did, who did you get before? I got a sperm whale and the guy from Star Trek. This Is it um, Captain Spock? I can't Oh, Mr. Spock? Name. Mr. Spock. Thank you. Yes. 
<laughs> That's right, Mr. Spock, because in, in that documentary, Star Trek Four. Oh, that's right. <laughs> the Undiscovered Country or something? Uh, the Voyage Home. Voyage Home. Okay. Mr. Spock can speak with the whales. Yes, I love it. And we thank uh, the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. Uh, philosophersguild.com. If you want your own finger puppet, you can do two things. One, submit us an idea. S- submit us your idea for a show at feedback at whattheif.com. And if you get picked, you will become a master ifer and receive a finger puppet in gratitude of a great scientist or science fiction character. Or if you don't want to do that or you just want to get one now, I say go for it and you can have 10% off. They give us a fun discount just for our audience. If you go to their website, philosophersguild.com and use the coupon code WTIF. Go to our website, whattheif.com. You can listen to all our previous episodes there. You can find out more about Matt and I. Matt, in particular, you can learn about the courage, the character. And it takes to confront the whale army. Exactly. To go out there for science. (laughs) For science. And subscribe to our show so that all the new episodes show up right on your phone or whatever device you're using to listen to this program. Follow us on Twitter. As you mentioned, What The If Show. We share all kinds of things. Vanessa, I see you there. It's fantastic. We get a lot. People are really starting to chatter there. And I know this is this adventure is going to really... It's going to light it up. It's going to be lit. Next week, another What The If, another adventure. Matt, I can't possibly imagine how many sofas will be consumed <laughs> in the next episode. <laughs> And Vanessa, if you would join us in this ritual that we have at the end when we dare to open the portal into the future and like looking, like having the eyes of a fly, seeing the, in, the millions of possibilities, mirrors upon mirrors upon mirrors of all the ifs that could possibly happen and all the sofas that go flying, we say, what, what the... the- <laughs>